Welcome to the Know Your Rights podcast with Orlando attorneys Albert Bazzotti and Joel Osborne from the Bazzotti and Osborne Law Firm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Know Your Rights podcast. My name is Angelo Malone, and I am your host today. And as always, I am here with both lawyers from Bazzotti Osborne, Joel Osborne, and Albert Bazzotti. Gentlemen, say hello to everyone. Hey, how you guys doing? Good evening, everyone. And today we actually have a special guest. And Albert, I know you brought along a friend today. Do you want to introduce who's along with us today for the podcast? So we have a former prosecutor out of New York and out of Florida, Vinny Sena. Vinny, say hello to the guest here today. Good, good evening, everybody. Vinny, where are we talking to you from today? Today you were talking to me from Boston Spa, New York. It's about 10 minutes away from Saratoga. I don't know if you're familiar with the Saratoga racetrack that hosts the Travers Day at the end of August every year. I live about five minutes away from that. Many of you have a special interest in the case or perhaps no case of Kansas City star wide receiver Tyree Kill. He has been in the news recently for all the wrong reasons. News surfaced in mid-March that Overland Park police took two reports at Hill's Johnson County home, one for battery and the other for child abuse and neglect. The police reports, dated March 5th and March 14th, involved a juvenile known to be Tyreek Hill's three-year-old son. So what we're looking to discuss today on the podcast is we're going to take a look at this from a criminal law and a family law background discussing possible criminal prosecution defenses and also how the criminal investigation can affect his NFL playing career. So Albert, if you can start us out from a family law aspect, where, where are we at with this case? What are these allegations uh, look like and kind of take it from the, the top of the case for us? Okay, so starting like it, when we're looking at the family law aspect, we're looking at not just only Tyreek Hill, we're looking at his fiance involved as well. And we're looking at the, the young infant son involved, and we're looking at the best interest of the child in this matter. And it's more of a custody type battle right now because because of these criminal allegations and not just because wait, wait, it's- Wait, 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 I gotta stop, I gotta stop you. Uh, you said something right, it is the big standard, the best interest of the child. But in Florida, we no longer use the word custody. Um, in Florida, we, you know, Florida is a state where it encourages joint parenting and it's more of a, uh, the term, the lingo is a parenting plan, joint parenting with a parenting plan, right, Albert? I've been trying to get no, you, excellent, to get excellent. You not to use that dang word no more. We don't so, use custody except in rare situations like this, maybe, but that's for another, that's for another, uh, time. So, so well, you got to feel bad for Albert. Remember like in law school, all they told you best child's best interest child's equitable distribution or equitable distribution then those are really the only two things you're supposed to know from family law it i mean it's one of the huge things when we talk about family law you know a lot of the times on this show we talk about stuff with that has you know such brevity you know but when we're talking about a juvenile you know this is really serious and like Vinny says you know it's something they drill on in our heads in law school the big standard so whenever you're looking at family law truthfully from the judges to the down to the parents really the biggest concern should be the child involved so you know we're going to approach this issue you know especially when it deals with the juvenile child with you know with with care you know this is really serious to us we definitely do um albert uh is uh, is an excellent victim advocate um he impresses me so uh i look forward to discussing this with you guys hey, hey joel um, so let me ask you this because there's a criminal investigation that was involved involving both parents both tyreek hill and his fiance what what's what's the beginning steps i guess i would ask um involving the child yeah because there's both parents involved you know there's criminal allegations uh dcf of course or you know department of child and family services involved um you know what they might be looking for to do is a removal or shelter hearing and basically what that is we're not go too 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 in depth uh into it but it's it's where, uh, you know, a judge looks at the situation and determines if the child is in harm and if the child is in danger and harm, you know, they will remove the child while, you know, DCF, while the uh, investigations, while the criminal process, you know, plays out. So, again, always they're looking at the best interests of the juvenile child involved. What do, what do you think, Vinny? 
No, I completely agree with you. You said everything pretty much correctly. I mean, it's one of those situations where I don't know how he's not at least taken away from both of them for a few days based on the fact that, I mean, at the end of the, I mean, I listened to the phone call. I mean, I'm pretty disturbed by the phone call. I don't really think he made any super admissions to saying that I did it, but he said a lot of things that kind of made it tantamount to it. Like, I'm going to teach him respect, how to respect me. And that kind of makes me think that, you know, I, I understand imposing discipline about your trial, but it seems like he's taking it way, way, way too far. See, we'll get into some of those facts, Vinny, and I'm glad that we have you on, especially from a former prosecutor's perspective, because some of these quotes, some of the evidence that the district attorney had in this case, I think is very interesting, especially how he didn't file on this case, why he didn't file, what evidence he had, and also how that relates to our family law case. Because you said something interesting there that you think he should have been the, the child should have been taken away for a few days at least. Is that just at because, least? Yeah. Is that because you mean, think I, because they were doing the criminal inv- investigation and the allegations actually involved like child abuse and something serious? Well, just based on the fact, I mean, you see that and then he turned extent of the physical injury. I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, if the father is causing that injury, you need to investigate that and have him taken out of the household for at least a sustained period of time to investigate the matter, and make sure it isn't a situation of abuse. Now. I do strongly believe in innocent until proven guilty, and I don't believe at this point anything's been proven against Mr. Hill, but at least at this point, like you said, it's about what's most important to the child, and it, whenever there's an allegation of this such, at least, to, at least to let the dust settle, figure out what's going on, you should at least make sure he's going somewhere now with the two parents where he could be subject to further abuse, and, and if it's not figured out what occurred. I definitely agree, and DCF, you know, you know, it's a three-year-old, so you don't want to just put him in a situation, you know, with these shelter removal hearings. You know, if there is a way, if there's a grandparent that DCF deems, you know, um, you know, safe, you know, if there's any other way, um, is, is, as long as the kid's in a safe place, uh, you know, this is the time, you know, where DCF, you know, I, 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 you know, there's a lot of times where our government agencies overreact. But when it comes to a three-year-old, I give them a lot of leeway. Um, and I, like Vinny says, I hope they do their due diligence uh, and, uh, you know. <laughs> well, just the nature and extent of the injury, too. It's not like, you know, he's got like a little some allegation. Somebody's saying he got hit. I mean, the kid had a broken arm. Now, there's a million causes for that. He could have fell off the table and broke his arm. But yeah. when, when there's allegations that somebody hit the cause, it, I mean, it's, he's got, it's something that needs to be taken very seriously. I, I, de- I definitely agree. Um, and, you know, I hope DCF, you know, I don't know. I, did, I, know, I didn't research what they did, um, but, you know, hopefully they did it with the best interest of the kid in mind, not to shock the kid. You know, hopefully if there's a relative or some other, you know, a grandparent that could have taken care of the kid, maybe that, that would be the avenue. But, uh, yeah, there needs to be an investigation, uh, an, an in-depth investigation. Let, you know, this is really. Let serious. me ask you this, Joel. Now, sticking sticking on it from the you mentioned parenting plan earlier, and and one thing I want to get in, like not that not let let's say Tyreek hasn't been char- charged with a crime or anything, but DCF has uh, yeah. made a decision to at least remove the child for a certain period of time. What steps would Tyreek and his fiance have to go through to try and get the kid back? Is there something they can do Ooh. to try and prove to the courts um, that they're at a point where they can take care of this child? Yeah, I mean, of course they, and then, you know, we, you know, we're not in a place to, uh, you know, uh, uh, put guilt on Tyreek, you know, like uh, Vinny said, you know, innocent until proven guilty. It's, uh, so uh, we want to preface that. But yeah, there's stuff Tyreek and his wife can do, you know, they can get good defense counsel. Um, they could even, you know, be, uh, um, they could even be um, uh, forward thinking, start doing uh, voluntary drug tests, parenting classes, um, stuff of know, that nature, anger management classes. Yeah, comply, comply fully with DCF, you know, comply fully with the investigation, submit to, like I just said, submit to voluntary um, um, drug urinalysis tests, stuff like that, anger management, parenting classes. So there's, there's many ways, Albert. So those would be some of the things. Yeah, I would say most importantly, I'm sure the court, I mean, the court's going to ask him to take certain steps and like cooperate to the, a certain degree. Obviously, as his attorney, you're never, he has his right to remain silent. So you're not going to want to tell him anything to say anything that incriminates himself. But if he is innocent and he has an explanation to definitely go forward and 
well, law enforcement. No. Let me ask you this, Vinny, from a former prosecutor's perspective. Now, since there, right now, since there's been no criminal charges, I want to ask you this question. Say Tyree Kills advised by his lawyer to take certain steps toward proving to the courts or something that you're making, like rehabilitation steps, maybe going to counseling, maybe say drug and alcohol abuse, uh, counseling, parenting classes, that of that nature. From a prosecutor's perspective, can you use any of that that those classes or that evidence he's using to infer um, that he might have done something different yeah, from the past or from his no absolutely can you just explain that I mean, that process the- and like why a person would go through those steps and what what's the benefits from him and doing all that? Well, the benefits in him is it shows the court that he cares that he's actually taking this matter seriously that he's doing everything he can to be in his child's life, even if he isn't guilty or doesn't think he's guilty. He's kind of, quote-unquote, biting the biting the bull and saying, you know what, I'm going to take whatever it takes to get my kid back. Now, from a from an evidentiary standpoint, I don't believe that it's like depending on the judge, but to me, in order for evidence to come into evidence at a trial, it's got to be relevant, more or less likely something occurred. I, I find it hard to infer that just four, two or three weeks later when going through this, he's trying to do something to better his life, that that infers that he's guilty. In. Yeah, guilty. And I don't see a judge letting that in either. And I mean, if you obviously this isn't a civil matter, but if you look at civil matters, like where yeah, it's, with yeah. negligence, it's like a subsequent remedial measure in a set in a way, and like obviously that would never Here, come in. Yes, and kind of to explain that, a subsequent remedial measure would be like if you tripped outside of the hospital, uh, the hospital has a right to fix, and we, we want to encourage the hospital to fix the area where the, you know, if the slip was like a broken step, we don't punish the hospital for fixing the step. And just because they fix the step, that is not an admission of guilt. We want our businesses to, you know, to fix these kind of situations. So that's kind of a subsequent remedial me- measure in the civil sense. But it's kind of like this, you know, Tyreek, we're not going to punish him for doing the right thing, whether he's guilty or not. And, you know, the going to parenting classes, submitting to a random urinalysis doesn't show guilt. It just shows you're a good, good father that you really care. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he's just trying to get his kid back. I mean, no matter if I was a defense attorney, no matter what, even if I thought my client was innocent this day, I'm telling him to just like, you know, bite the bullet. If you want your kid to have, that's the most important thing in your life. Do these classes. Take take these well, steps to I, show the court. I think it looks good to the defense, too. You know, we always got to, you know, it's kind of scummy. But when we're doing defense, you know, at the end of the day, we're always thinking, what's going to appeal to the to the jury? How can we influence the jury? Kind of how can we you know, influence them the way we want. And this, you know, this stuff will look good to a jury regardless. And as well as the judge, I mean, who knows if charges yeah. are filed and, uh, you know, you can yeah. take subsequent remedial steps. I mean, the prosecutor, based on the fact that it's so immediate attention, they might think, oh, I got to send this guy to prison for life or, you know, obviously you can't get life, but do what they can to show to make an example. I mean, if you present this evidence to a judge, it gives them a better chance to offer something more favorable to your client at the end of the day people might be like oh well how could you do this for your client but it's the sixth amendment right you do everything you can that's in the best interest of your client Vinny, i think that's a great point too and then even if the prosecutor's being uh you know just playing real hardball you know if we do have to plead to the judge you know <laughs> well there you go the judge is going to look at you know this well, if, these, if these charges past. are filed in this case it's going to be a very tough position for the prosecutors no matter what they do there's always going to be people one way or the other saying well, I think you're being too lenient because this guy did something terrible. He should get the max. I mean, you got to understand the American public, no offense, but the half the time they're ignorant. They don't know what's happening. They hear broken arm child. Oh, he must have just taken the kid out and, you know, now yeah. he needs to get a max sentence. And but and then you'll have other people will be like, well, I listed the facts of the case. I don't think it's fair that he gets max. So you're putting the judge, the prosecution. I mean, it's, it's an unenviable standpoint to be in, to be in any of their positions. I dude, I, I, I totally agree. Um, and that's why I hope that all the, the people involved do thorough investigations. And, you know, I hope the judge, the prosecution uses that the results of that and moves forward with common sense and, and doesn't do it because of the court of public opinion and doesn't let their actions be forced because they want to appear we, tough. On right. Can we discuss actually why the prosecution has not brought charges? Vinny, I think this is the perfect point for you. Like as a prosecutor, before we get into it, explain like what goes, what decisions like goes into your mind in making charges. I don't know too much of the facts of the case. I know the child had a broken arm. Like you 
first thing I'd want to know, like as a prosecutor, when I had cases, I looked at the evidence is, first of all, do we have any witnesses to the crime? If there are witnesses, what sort of bias or interest may they have in? Because a lot of times, like with domestic violence, unfortunately, is that some of these women are, and I would say probably a good majority of them are actually victims. Problem is when they're going through divorces, when things are going on between families, sometimes it hinders their credibility. It makes it hard to sell to a jury that, hey, this woman's telling the truth. The jury might say, oh, I think she's telling the truth, but when it's beyond a reasonable doubt, it's a tough standard. So you got to take that into consideration. You have to take into consideration what are the injuries. You got to take into consideration, did anybody witness it? Now, I think with this case, and from what I understand, I don't, I don't think anyone was home when the injury happened. So in order to prove the case at trial, I mean, obviously we do have an injury. But we also have to show an intentional act on the part of Mr. Hill. Now, at the end of the day, if he's telling his lawyers or telling everybody that, oh, my son fell off the couch and uh, broke his arm, I mean, unless there's forensic evidence to, to completely counter his story, then, I mean, that's there's at this point, there's really nothing to counter where he's saying that, oh, yeah, it wasn't actually. The one thing that made him reopen the investigation, I think that really uh, uh, influenced it was the video that was released or not the video it was an audio recording. And yeah, in the audio recording. Tyreek says something. It's it's sound, it plays really bad. And if it plays to a jury, I don't know if it would even co come in because of the probative value might be outweighed. But it's where he tells his son, you know, his I want to get I want to get into that tape for sure. But before we get there, I want to ask you both one thing, because yeah. this this weighed on my mind as well. So Tyreek Hill was arrested in 2015 for um, strangling his now Esp Espinal, his now fiance. He pleaded guilty and completed three years of probation. I believe it was to assault or something like that. Do you think that has an impact? Does his criminal history or just a person's criminal history have an impact as a prosecutor in weighing whether to bring charges or not to bring charges to someone, Vinny? Oh, absolutely. Because if you have somebody who used to have a criminal prior criminal incident, the first thing you notice is this isn't an isolated incident. I mean, a lot of times like what I tell people is that if, even if they're not filed charges, more, I mean, obviously you're innocent to prove guilty, but most of the time the incident happened. It's just levels of proof, victims recanting, victims not willing to come forward. And that tends to be an issue more than the fact that the incident didn't happen. But if it's an isolated incident, people make mistakes. You know, I mean, you look at his history, it's no history. I mean, with a situation this bad, of course, you still got to go forward and look depth, more deeper into the circumstances, but say, it's an incident like a slap or a push or something like that, not not negating and saying that it's not that big of a deal, but it's it's just a completely different circumstances because, I mean, at the end of the day, people screw up. I mean, normal human beings go through tough situations in their life and you don't. Yeah. And if I it's agree. one time. We don't judge. We can't judge. It's, you know, we all mess up. You know, we're not perfect and we're not trying to, you know, put judgment on anybody when we when we review these cases. I agree. But if you, but if you see somebody with five or six prior batteries, all of them no filed, missed, then you start realizing this guy's trouble. A lot of times he might be either a convincing the witness not to testify. He may be scaring the witness I and mean, he may be threatening the witness. And then I mean, that's when as a prosecutor, you think in the using stuff like material witness warrants to force the witness to come into court or even in order to show cause if the witness decides not the victim decides not to testify at trial, just because you know, this guy has a potential. I mean, unfortunately, he's got a potential to kill somebody if he keeps at, and, at engaging in the conduct that he is. No, yeah, you're right. Yeah. And with, a, with a, you know, in, and to move to a family law, you know, uh, we were talking, you know, we, we were hitting this from a family law angle. You know, these allegations of domestic violence, it's not an allegation. He, um, he, did, he pleaded guilty and completed three years for strangling, you know, Aspinall, which would be considered a domestic relationship. Um, so, you know, this would also affect any parents and plan he does get. And as, you know, the family law case, um, with his three-year-old son, you know, this is going to be, uh, this is going to be, uh, uh, an asterisk, you know, some of the things they look at when determining, you know, uh, you know, what parent, uh, gets, you know, the majority of the time and how the parent and plan is structured. They look at the parent that's most likely to allow reasonable contact, mental health, and then this, you know, instances of domestic violence. So, you know, this is the same woman, uh, you know, that's involved in this situation. So, no, exactly. And I, that's a very good point to put up. I mean, it definitely, I feel like has a little bit more impact on his family law proceeding than his criminal. Because obviously, if you don't have enough evidence to file charges, no matter what, 
if it's a close call, you see prior history, it's kind of like, all right, as a prosecutor, you got to bite the bullet and take a chance on a case where it's closer if he's got prior history. Whereas if it's kind of a close call, the guy's got no history, but he doesn't want to come forward. He's taking the remedial measures of taking anger management classes for himself. Then you realize, like, okay, you don't think this is going to happen again. It's not a situation I'm going to have to deal with. And you're willing to say, oh, let's, we'll let it slide. But like I said, first of all, like I said, with a broken arm, that's that makes it that much worse. But then the fact that he's got a prior history makes it the point for where sure. yeah, for I mean, sure. it seems like Mr. Hill I, is... Hey, guys, I, w- I want to ask you this because no. you guys mentioned evidence and you mentioned this audio recording because this, this this has been like this has been getting at me for weeks and weeks on this case because all right, this audio recording that was released and it's this re- uh, audio recording alone that many people believe is the reason why the DA actually reopened the case. Vinny, from an evidentiary perspective, that that re- recording cannot come into evidence. That recording was recorded secretly and in, in, in privacy uh, a conversation that mr hill was having with his fiance so can, can you explain i guess like how how even a prosecutor can consider something like that when they know they can't use that evidence in a in a trial or proceeding in court well i'm not entirely certain that it, i mean unless it's already been ruled upon that, that tape can come, come in now I mean, based on how that re- received but you get under you gotta understand it it's not states. It's not. I mean, first evidence you got to look at is was it a violation of his Fourth Amendment right to an unreasonable search and seizure? The problem is here. This wasn't the government using any state action. It was his wife who decided secretly to record the conversation. Secretly, though. You know the old. Yeah, I mean, it is secretly. I mean, but I don't know any fourth. I don't know Missouri law. In New York, it's a one-party consent state. So if you're, if I'm on the phone with you right now, I record the conversation. That I can't get held in trouble for that. And for I sure. Potentially use it as evidence. I mean, whoever you talk to, it's always a, there's always a risk saying that, you know. Okay. But let's just say, cause he's married to her. Let's just say, and and most likely 99%, she's not, she's not, or fiance, she's not going to testify against her, him. So if that's the case and she's not going to testify against him, there's no way that that tape can come in. How can a prosecutor get that tape into evidence without her? Hmm. Well, I mean, you get, Friends of his to listen to the recording. If they can authenticate and say that's 100%, no question about it, Tyreek Hill's voice, that's a party yeah, opponent admission. Yeah, exactly. Party opponent He's a defendant, so he gets to bring no, it in as a party he, opponent admission. But still, it's recorded to, illegally you know, without his consent. So therefore, that's. I don't know if it's illegally. I don't know Missouri's law. If it's a yeah, but Albert, when we're talking about when we're talking about constitutional protections, the, the girl herself would have to be a government, some type of government nexus. Exactly. You know, my understanding, there's, there's no there. nexus to the government. It's her. It's his fiance that he's already admitted, or that he's already been convicted of abusing. Dude, this this definitely could come in. I'm not saying it's going to come in or not. You know. Well, then you guys do the probative that, over the pro, uh, probative. Yeah, exactly. Back. That's what I was saying earlier. There's some stuff on this on this tape. You know, if if a jury hears, uh, there's this one part where Tyreek says, you know, um, you know. It was kind of like the the girl says, you know, your son's really scared of you. And he says, he better be scared of me. And it just plays really bad. I don't think that could, you know, I think a defense attorney could argue that that, you know, the probative values outweighed by the prejudice that and, that comment would give to a jury. And you know, I would agree with involved. you. It's, it's not, it doesn't make anything more or less likely that he hit the child or broke his arm that day. It's more mm-hmm. or less him saying the way his sort of attitude is. I'm not saying I agree with his attitude, but it's also a situation where... where I mean, it has nothing to do with, hey, did he actually commit the crime? It's more or less that's his, his attitude of, you know, I mean, the whole call sounded like. And, and, you know, a Southern, you know, I'm not sure where Tariq's from, but, you know, down here in the South, you know, we discipline differently, you know, and, you know, that kind of mentality is not, you know, how I raise my kids, but it's not criminal, you know, to have, you know, that type of discipline. I'm not saying we condone it. And I don't think that's, you know, in the best interest of your child for your child to be scared of you. But again, you know, when we're talking about criminal law, we, we can't be too careless. You know, we're talking about constitutionally, <laughs> constitutionally protected, you know, rights. So, well, you know, I mean, go to, go, go to the discipline, to Joel. I mean, it's a situation I would never advocate to hit your child, to abuse your child. But I feel like we're living in an era where a lot of parents and people are afraid to uh, discipline their child. And you're starting to see it with the generation with kids thinking they're entitled, thinking they can get away with anything. And. I think that maybe be the way he's trying to act since I want my kid to be scared of me and respect me. But obviously, if he's hitting his kid and breaking his arm, I would not condone that. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, yeah, that's not playing. You could know, I, that's not playing back could I argue from a defense so, yeah, standpoint that that's just improperly characterizing Tyreek Hill's character 
and that none of that stuff should come in because that's just saying that he has bad character, that he's an angry person, that he's a violent pe- person when there's no evidence of that from from the past. Could I argue that? Well, there, there is okay. evidence, Albert. What was the well, evidence? He has the one prior he has um, nature. Yeah, conviction. I understand that. So I can I understand a prosecutor. Well, wait, 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 wait. But let's look at it, dude. We're both we, we've all dealt with the criminal system. If he did three years of probation for this, Albert, three years of probation, was it serious? If he was I mean, required that's, to do probably three felony years probation, probation, if you think about it. Yeah. No, can it be, no, 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 can it be misdemeanor? So, Tell me, Vinny. Uh, no. That's one thing you guys, I mean, in, the, in Florida, for a first degree okay. misdemeanor, you can only get one year of probation. In New York, which is tantamount, uh, what's called the Class A misdemeanor, which is pretty much tantamount to a first degree misdemeanor. You can get three years probation. So it sounds like I don't know what the okay, state is. That makes but a sense. Lot of it's in Missouri. Three years probation for their highest level misdemeanor. I guess yeah, I, I'm not sure Missouri is more from we, me, you know, dealing with these defenses and dealing with the pleas involved. You know, when someone's pleading out to three years of probation, because a lot, you know, um, you know, it's 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 serious. It's a serious. Uh, it, it wasn't just the facts and the defense. Well, I we I'm speaking out of my 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 rear end. You know, this is just a, a hunch that the facts were, you know, not not a hundred percent defense friendly. You know, if they're going to put their, their client on three years of paper, where he's, you know, you know, I don't know Tyree kills, but but his nature of violating, you know, uh, in that time, you know, most. Yeah, but he completed. He completed. He, fine. So he completed. Yep. Yeah, satisfactory. He did. He, he, yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. But, you know, anytime you're putting one of your clients from a defense standpoint, one of the things I think about always when I'm recommending probation, the first thing I think about is, can he serve the time? Can he do that time on paper? Is he going to have five marijuana? You know, is it going to be a bunch of technicals or is it going to be new charge violations? He's going to pick up five well, that, new felons. And that's so, a good point, know. too, Joel. One of those things, like I hate to put down public defenders, but some of them are the best attorneys I've ever worked with. But I'm sure Tyreek Hill didn't get a public defender. He had one of the more elite attorneys in Missouri area. And an elite, elite attorney in the area isn't going to recommend probation if the facts are favorable in his case. He's probably going to talk the case down to something like, you know, a conditional discharge where you do community service, even possibly putting down the charges. And I'm assuming the, Again, the facts I don't was, want to speak out of my butt. I'm just speaking hunch. You know, I'm just speaking out of hunch. But Hill was a star football player. You know, I hate to say it, but in these counties, you know, we think justice is blind and you're a child, you know, uh, you know, justice is kind of an all or nothing proposition. We talk about that here. Um, you know, it's been stamped on. It's been trampled on. So to think that he couldn't even get even more favorable treatment because he's a star player in a small county where football's. All right, let me, let me, I'm glad, I'm glad you brought that up though. I'm glad you brought that up though. I want to ask you this from an opposite, uh, an opposite angle, from a prosecutor's perspective, when you have a more like a celebrity type of person that comes into court and, and from a prosecutor that's handling it, does a prosecutor kind of get like, is there any type of behavior, excitement, or do, do they give a little bit extra effort because it's someone more famous and more known? Do you, because it seems like on certain cases, certain types of prosecutors have more passion and more, I want to go gun hole for this charge. And in some cases they don't, you know? Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I mean, it's one of those things like, yeah, the prosecutor, you're supposed to treat every case the same, but I hate to say it. I mean, when it's, you're doing the job true. for so long, when you do this yeah. job for so long, you keep doing the same shit over and over. It kind of gets to the point where it's like, you know, you've seen there, been there, done that. So you get a big case. I mean, your office, I mean, most of the time in the offices I've worked at is if it's a big case, usually like the division chiefs or somebody higher up takes the case because they have a little bit more time. They're not, they're not, they don't have the busy workload of dockets. Yeah, exactly. And, and yeah. person, if it doesn't go to that person, I mean, it's a situation where you know anything you do is going to be scrutinized one way or the other. So you want to make sure. You want to make damn sure that you make the right decision, that you look through all the angles, that you covered all your bases before. Say you're going to no file the case, people are going to wonder why the hell did you do that. And then you want to make sure you have a good decision. Whereas, you know, whatever plea offer you offer, I mean, if the guy gets gets the max sentence, I mean, people are going to be like, oh my god, like, you know, this guy's first time, he didn't do anything bad. And then other people are going to be like, hey, it's what he, he got, what he deserved. Like I like I keep saying, the problem with the press, and it's a beautiful thing because it keeps our system, or keeps our country free. It's one of the most important rights we have, but it also has, it does play a huge hindrance in criminal prosecutions because sometimes you, you don't, I mean, I, I feel like offices don't always do the right thing because they're afraid of 
the way it may the be press. portrayed in the press. Exactly. Yeah, and that's and that's totally against, you know, what the framers of our Constitution envisioned when they set up the justice system. Again, justice is it's supposed to be justice is supposed to be blind. But if you're looking over your shoulder, if you're looking behind you, worried about, you know, what the next man's thinking, well, justice isn't blind at that point. Did you ever take any of your cases like your home with you? Like meaning like, did you ever think about these cases like when making filing decisions and like, did it, did it ever like, was it, was it really difficult sometimes knowing like you had to bring charges where like the facts are kind of like on the wall and you just don't know if you can prove it or you have a good case. Can you just explain how that, how a prosecutor's I mean, mindset goes into all these cases? It, it hurts. I'll, I'll be honest with you, I remember one time in Florida, there was this case that charged this guy with an assault. I watched the video and I'm like, there's nothing there. This is a completely BS charge. Like, dude, I looked at his rap sheet and it wasn't the prettiest rap sheet I've ever seen. Had quite a few felony convictions. Not exactly what you'd call a Boy Scout, but at the end of the day, each case needs to be analyzed individually. And I was like, this is wrong. What's going on? So I told my division chief, I was like, listen, I don't think there's an ethical basis to go forward. I mean, he was the one who filed the charges. So. He was the one. I mean, I knew I had to go. I mean, my duty as a prosecutor, I don't You know, a big word everyone uses for prosecutors is discretion. And everyone really doesn't understand, especially out there, just normal citizens, how much discretion a prosecutor really has or an assistant state attorney. I guess there's a difference between the state attorney and assistant state attorney. Yeah. yeah, Well, you got to. Assistant state attorney only has as much discretion as his boss gives him. So let's go. Yeah, somebody finished with that. Like I was saying, like, this guy was on felony probation. So this guy's sitting in jail for something. I don't believe he really did wrong. And then my boss gave me attitude. He's like, no, well, you need to go sit in your office and think about doing something like that before you come say that to me. And, and it's one of those situations oh, like, it's like, well, it's, yeah, like almost like a child. And it's one of those situations. It's like now you put in a tough position. I mean, what if it goes to trial and you have to tell your boss, I'm not trying to, it's kind of like now you're being insupported to your boss. You and, know- I mean, at the time, I didn't really have much of a paycheck. It's like, do I decide on a paycheck or do I decide on going forward with a case? That's a tough decision to make. And, you know, we laugh about it, you know, about the child comment. But let's let's remember what's going on. There's somebody sitting in jail, you know, with their liberty taken away for something probably. (laughs) I got got my three year old chiming in. But, you know, there's somebody sitting in jail with their liberty deprived. You know, that's that's come. I don't think there's anything more serious than that. No, and the funny part is that case went to a pro, uh, violation of probation here, and the judge didn't even find enough evidence for that. And I kind of told my boss afterwards, I'm like, yeah, she didn't find it. Like, you know, I had a nice little smile on my face when I told him, and he ended up dropping the charges. But, I mean, he sat in 50 days in jail for some. He shouldn't have sat in 50 Vinny, days in jail Vinny, is it. that difficult? Is it difficult? Like, is that one thing that's really difficult about being an assistant state attorney or an assistant prosecutor? It's that that there's politics involved and office politics and whoever the state attorney or their vision, if you don't 100% buy in or if you're not given full discretion, you really don't feel like you're really serving justice the way it's supposed to be served? Oh, absolutely. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, justice is a relative concept. The way I see it is just and you just, Joel just, Angelo's just is never going to be the same exact thing. Now, the problem is, like, I have a great, I mean, I had a great boss here in New York, very nice guy, would do anything for you, but he's very religious and rigid in his ways. Like, he's never had a sip of alcohol in his life, and so when he sees somebody with a DWI, it's more of a crime than something like, oh, shit, I might have done that once in my life, drove with a .11 or a .12. It's like, does it make it right? No, but it's not like, you know, it's not the crime of the century, whereas, like, you know, it's just different perspectives, but you got to remember... These are elected positions. Every four years, they have to go in front of the populace people and say, hey, reelect me. And I mean, it's not like they're not getting paid good money either. They're getting paid about $200,000 a year. So it's not something they just want to lose. Uh, what scares me, though, Vinny, is you're talking, you hit something that I, I think is so serious. You're right. These, these, uh, uh, these men are elected. But, you know, when we're talking about criminal law, at the end of the day, the end all be all is the Supreme Court. And are they elected, Vinny? They are appointed by the president. Wait, wait, and, and what's their terms? Their terms are life. Oh, does that sound very uh, democratic? It doesn't sound very democratic at all. And in fact, it's kind of one of those <laughs> things. That's scary. The problem is there's no perfect way to have a system because you either have people elect the judge, which can cause corruption, or you have people get appointed, which can cause even more corruption. So there's always well, well, Vinny, the potential I'll, I'll, I'll for say something with you. I agree there's different levels of justice and it, and it kind of varies, but I think justice is kind of, it's one thing, it's all or nothing. You can't have part, you know, some justice. It's something that's kind of got to be, you know, total. 
And then it's kind of objective, Vinny. You know, there is an objective thing. And we as a society need to determine, you know, what we, you know, you know, the, the how we define humanity going forward. You know, as if a society we move to a place where we don't feel cannabis should be a criminal offense, you know, well, that's something we can determine as a society and move forward. You know, I agree with you, Joe. I mean, it's one of those things we should be. I mean, in my opinion, we should be legal. But then you have these people who think it's the gateway you know, drug. And when you and talk the about justice, one of the things you do, Vinny, is you do research. You know, it's objective. You know, you look, you do actual research. You know, it's not the 1950s anymore. I'm, I'm just pulling out something. But when it comes to cannabis, you know, now there's empirical research. We know that the, the propaganda of reefer madness in the 1950s is horse. You know, when it comes to drinking and driving, you know, I'm kind of like the strict New York guy, you know, if you're doing something in this country where you can hurt somebody, I'm all for that. Let's prosecute those people. It's the nonviolent, the nonviolent when you're hurting nothing, then it kind of encroaches on your right to privacy. No, I agree. I mean, I remember I kind of I kind of would rather put our resources in prosecuting people that are doing dumb stuff that put people's lives in jeopardy. And that includes DUIs. And I want to say and I've never had a sip of alcohol and drove. You know, I'm not I'm not that hypocritical. I'm just saying, you know, when you're doing stuff like that, drinking, you know, with a limit, that's just crazy and getting into a car. Those are the type of people I do want to prosecute. No, I agree. Justices can be objective and it's defined objectively by us as a society, but it needs to be a rational society and informed society. It can't just be dumb butts just, you know, looking at Twitter and making their opinion based on, you know, the next jerk hole's opinion. You know, oh, I agree. It, people it, people it should have more education. It requires people not to be apathetic, which sounds like a sounds like you know a, a dream. So we don't want to be dreamers. Right? I I completely agree with you. Unfortunately, the way one of my colleagues put perfectly, I mean, I I see it worse in my county than most counties in the world. Is that a lot of people are getting lazier and lazier? They tend to use oh, public benefits question. more. So it's turning into a situation where I mean, I guess the best way to describe it is the watering down of the gene pool. So you're getting people who are Less and less intelligent are the ones saying yes. all this and that. Let me, and- let me ask you this, Vinny. Let me ask you this. You're, you're, what you pointed out is true because all you have to do is go look at a Bob Dylan song from the 1970s and then contract it with like a Timberland song of nowadays, Timberland and Nelly Furtado. So this force, I think it's forced. I don't think the when, when you see a population digressing, I don't think that's natural. I think that's a forced occurrence. And we talk a lot on the show about, you know, criminal prosecutions. And, you know, a lot of the criminal prosecutions are for nonviolent drug offenses. Well, I think these smartphones, to be honest, I think there's more harm in these smartphones than alcohol or, you know, marijuana. um, A lot of these uh, stuff we prosecute for. Oh, I completely agree. Honestly, like I think the biggest thing, like obviously I don't have any empirical data to back this up. But I think the reason for all these school shootings is people see all these people popular on social media and they want that attention. And deep down, maybe if it's an, un- maybe it's unconscious in their back of their mind, they want to be popular. They want people to know yeah, them. they I, want to have that. Name, that's why they do this shit. And it's unfortunate. I've never understood that Vinny. I don't understand. You know, we always protect victims, you know, and we won't disclose victims names. Why do we disclose these people names and make them heroes? I completely agree. I've been saying that since the day of Adam Lanza in Connecticut. Why that? I don't want to know his name. I don't want to know anything about him because now people are like, yeah. you know, now he's a household name. Like, I, I'm one of those people kind of philosophical. I believe you die twice. You die like what, when you actually die, and then you, the second time you die is when the last person says your name. And it's one of those things that person's never going to die twice. People are always going to say his name, and that's the kind of popularity I feel like people want is that that people know who you are for doing that. And it's it's sick. It, it's disgusting, but the way social media is, it's all about the likes. It's all about. And, and, it, and it started with the Ted Bundy. You know, it started with televising the Ted Bundy thing. It started with the televising of OJ Simpson. You know, people like that filth. And it's, it's, it's become a society. It's become an illness for our society. And it's something, you know, it's not something that we can't change. You know, no, I agree. Problem. You know, it's, but it's, it's just where do you start? Because nobody can even find any common ground anymore. You know, everyone's offended by everything. Everyone, you know, has so many different uh, sides, you know, to everything that we can't find a common ground as people anymore. And it's 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 sad. It's, it's tough. Guys, let me let me let me ask you this, though. Getting, getting back to Tyreek Hill and going on that, has society played a part in Tyreek Hill in the NFL getting involved based on this, even the social media and Twitter and all that? 30 years ago, you wouldn't even have heard. If LT had done something like this, you wouldn't have even heard about it. 
Um, you know, and um, uh, they would have done anything they could to sweep it under the rug. No, of course, you know, of course. I, I don't mean I don't mean to say LT did. You know, instances of domestic violence. But I'm saying, but just superstars, it's known, you know, all of this tabloid stuff was kept away. You know, they wanted their superstars to be clean and be on Wheaties boxes. So, yeah, definitely the culture has changed. Now, uh, these athletes are under 24-7 micro. It's tough. Yeah, it's you know, tough. I under- mean, the, the, the CBA is not easy on them. And then also, I mean, at the end of the day, because I feel like people have such a, a male perception of, athletes and that they're all money hungry greedy that they should be under these strict regiments i think adele's trying to appease the public by being such a i mean he is tough on these well people. yeah i know angela wanted to get into this for the last part of our show so i'll let him get into this how the nfl plays the a part on this and all that yeah so i guess yeah that's fine yeah what we want to kind of kick into is how does the nfl investigation play into it what are the potential consequences that tyree kill may face so if if the investigation comes through and there's no charges against them, what would the outcome be? And if charges are brought against them, does it depend upon the seriousness? How's it going to play out for his career in the NFL? Because we just watched what happened with their running back last year, right? Is Tyree? Yeah, well, that's that's the situation. Like Ezekiel, had no criminal charges were ever filed. I'm assuming because the victim didn't want to come forward, so proving the case at a trial would have been impossible i mean there's no direct evidence saying that he did it but the nf well, the problem is what she probably did the day of the incident wrote a statement saying hey ezekiel Elliott did this to me yada 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 she refused to cooperate with prosecution now at trial you can't just introduce that statement you have to have the person it'd be against the, what's called the confrontation clause sixth amendment of the constitution so they don't have the witness they don't have any way to prove the crime they decide not to file the charges however the nfl there's no such thing as the hearsay the confrontation clause it's a privilege to play in the nfl it's not a god-given right it's not your liberty to be free member of society it's you you are a privileged member to be in the nfl and the nfl could take a look at that police report and look at the victims to look at the photos he could take a look at the statement and then they can make their own determination it's not there's not the same level of protection do you think the nfl um, investigation is a lot more strenuous than the prosecutor a prosecutorial type of investigation Uh, i don't necessarily know about that i mean the thing with the prosecutorial is that you got to look at, like I said, the rules of evidence. I mean, half the battle of looking at my facts of cases, or when I was a prosecutor, looking at the facts of cases, is like, is this going to come into evidence to trial? How the jury's going to see this? I mean, you, like I said, if you got a domestic violence case, well, we got to, we got to, we got to highlight that you know the NFL doesn't have the power of the subpoena, not in the way that the criminal court does. So that's one thing. That's true, but I mean, I don't, I don't know. I've never read the CBA, but I also don't think the NFL has a right where they can't look at a statement and say, "All right, we're using this to determine whether or not we're going to punish you." It's like, Do, does the NFL use public opinion though to help these investigations or to look more seriously at these investigations? Oh, it's a business. Yes, absolutely, album. without question, it's a business. So that's what the NFL is looking at, you know. And it's, you know, it's kind of crazy. You could go through like three different ones, like Ray Rice out of the league forever. Kareem Hunt's going to be playing for the Browns this year. Uh, Greg Hardy, you know, he did some. When I looked at his case, I actually reviewed it. Yeah, that one was crazy. And then he was playing for Dallas. To play in the NFL, it's not really do you have a criminal conviction. It's a balancing act like the, like, uh, the probative value. Um, it's really um, how good are you versus the, the seriousness of the, the allegation and the public perception. So it's it's a balancing act in the NFL. Well, I think it's like like you said, you made a good point earlier, Joel, is that like you feel a few years ago it'd probably be more or less stuff under the rug. Now it's not. Since, ever since the Ray Rice incident came out, I mean, I think it's been something that's brought to light in the NFL, and then now they're trying to make more of a stand because I mean, yes. as a woman who's who's seeing stuff like this happen, I can understand why women would be like, I don't want to watch the NFL where these guys are beating people, getting away scot free. So and, and they're getting money nothing. from. Yeah, it'd be, it'd, be, it'd be ridiculous to think that the NFL is not deriving money from a female fan base. So all of this stuff is, especially with fantasy, I know plenty of girls that play fantasy football. So this is all a business decision. You know, it, it, it looks terrible. You know, they don't want to look lenient, uh, uh, you know, like they did with, you know, uh, on domestic violence before Ray Rice. So they really, you know, especially Goodell, they've, they changed the CBA, especially to address instances of domestic violence. But again, and it's the a most CBA. The so, most important know. thing is people see criminal investigations. Oh, she wrote, like, I I don't know how many times I've had victims call me and say, I don't want to come in and testify. I gave you my statement. That's enough. 
In criminal law, no, that's not enough. They have a right to, to confront you about what you wrote. They, that's what that's the whole point of the trial is to basically confront your accusers. And the, like I said, with the NFL, like I looked at Ezekiel Elliott's case. I looked at the photos. I didn't read the statement, but I'm sure in the statement there was something about her alleging that he struck her. And I mean, based on the photos, it looks like that's a good possibility. And there's no standard of beyond a reasonable doubt. There's no, there's no where you can't at consider the, at the, end of the, the day, NFL. At the end of the day, the way they structured different. the CBA, from what I understand, is Roger Goodell has has a lot of power in this. Oh, it's not, it's not, it's not like he does. He has a lot of the power in this, and he decides. And you know, I'm sure he's not a fool. He has people, you know, gauging the public perception that are on his payroll that get paid to, to you know, to delve into public perception that are, you know, diving through every Twitter comment and have algorithms that that peruse every Twitter comment. So you know, he's making a lot of these decisions. And, you know, again, when the CBA is renegotiated, that's one thing that's going to be a huge thing is how much power Roger Goodell has, because he's kind of judge, jury and executioner. And a lot of these appeals have been based on that. But again, the CBA is, is jointly negotiated and they gave Roger Goodell a lot of this power. Well, I mean, the biggest thing is it's a guy. It's not a God given right to play in the NFL. It is a privilege. You are making millions upon millions of dollars to play a sport you are privileged to play in the NFL and then it's never going to be like, you know, when you're criminal trial where you could be sent to jail and lose your freedom. Do you think he's been more stringent on more on superstar type of NFL players? Like you look at Ezekiel Elliott last year, six game suspension, Adrian Peterson, a few years ago, remember that child abuse case, he had to sit out the whole year. And those are two of the faces of the NFL. Do you think that had a, had something because Tyreek is a superstar. Let's get that out. He is a superstar receiver, a playmaker. He's one of the best in the NFL. He's marketable. He's quick. He can do everything. Kick returner. So is that going to play a, a role in this? Again, uh, Albert, I think I think there's a balance I, I, in, that in the NFL. You know, because like we see, Ray Rice was gone, but that year before Ray Rice committed all this, his production. But he was a superstar yeah, too, right? He was wasn't he? He really wasn't good. Greg Hardy. Greg Hardy. Well, let me. Greg Hardy. Yeah, he on was the other a big... hand, Greg Hardy. Uh, Dallas thought could be insane uh, uh, on their line you know, thought would be double-digit sack performer. His case was insane. Some of the stuff that they allege and some of the stuff that, you know, I'm not going to judge on him, but it, it was pretty crazy. And he was playing, you know. So it's, it's a lot of it is talent versus public, what you can get past the public perception, you know, without the public just being like, no. It's funny with Michael Vick and the dogs, you know, a lot of people, you know, care more about no, That's another great example. Great example, though. Yeah. Michael Vick, yeah. Oh, you don't even understand being a prosecutor. Holy yeah, crap. But it was like Michael Vick was talented, the superstar, highest paid player. But he did something where you cannot go to anybody and convince that that's okay. You know, you cannot, when it comes to hurting dogs, you got about 90% of people like, you know, kill the guy, hang him. You know, with this, with this Tyree kill, you know, now we also, you got to understand, you know, with the Kavanaugh hearings, you know, not everyone agrees with this, you know, uh, me too, or, uh, you know, me too, um, you know, where uh, I forget how they worded, but it's, it's not the me too, but it was, you know, based on the Kavanaugh hearings with, you know, multiple allegations of sexual assault. There's people on the other sides, like, let it play out. Let it, you know, let it go through the court. Don't just convict like, uh, you know, like the, um, um, the trials in 1950s. What was it with the Russian scare? You know, where we just. Uh, or the Salem witch yeah. trials in the 1700s. So, so, Let's go back away. With the domestic violence, you know, you've got probably about 40, 50 percent of people out there. That's like, I don't care. You know, just let them play football. You know, with the Michael Vick, it was 90 percent. And so it's a balancing thing. Balances on talent based on the, the act and what the public perceives of it. You know, if it's too crazy, if you if you murder somebody, you know, you, you can't convince the public or I don't know. Uh, ask, uh, you know, I think of Ray Lewis. Uh, I don't know. You All know? right. Real real quick, gentlemen, we got to wrap this up. I, I just want to go around the room and uh, you're looking in your crystal ball. If no other evidence pops up, what do we see? Do we see Tyreek Hill in the NFL this year? Do you think he's done? What are your thoughts? Albert, you can start it off. I am I'm very concerned for him. I don't think right now criminal charges will be brought just because based on I don't think his fiance is going to testify against him. The son's not going to be able to testify right now. I don't see anything based on the pictures, the evidence. What I'm more worried about is this criminal investigation. Wait, 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 wait. Albert, I got to stop you. You say you don't think criminal charges are going to be brought. Well, they've already been refiled. No, I don't no, think they, so. They, no, I don't no, think so. I think they, 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 they don't know the process. The they haven't actually filed anything. 
that's my understanding to reopen. They haven't filed. I don't know the procedure. Every state's different. Like in Florida, you got to have the prosecutors filing information. In New York, you have the officers filing information. So, like I said, every you got to understand every state's different but, the way they actually charge. Yeah, that's true. Defendants. That's true. And we are not licensed in Kansas. We are not licensed where where this is going down. That's true. I think he's going to get a suspension, at least an eight game suspension. I hate to say it. I think I was thinking six. That's what I'm, I was. I, I was thinking he's probably like the same as Ezekiel Elliott, maybe a little bit more. He's a superstar. Like, like they're all superstars, and they're going to get. Because the one thing I wanted to ask you, Vinny, before you went, uh, since we're all football fans here, as a diehard Giants fan, I remember about oh, 10 years ago now, Plexico Burris. The Giants were 12 and one. Plexico shot himself in the bar, and right away he went to prison for two years in new york you're well aware of that case and it, and it derailed our super bowl run defending our super bowl so like just in something like that he was a superstar too and uh, what Albert, did he get that, what stopped him for the two years wasn't the nfl suspending him it was new york putting incarcerating him in prison you know greg hardy is no 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 i i actually I hate to interrupt you joel it was actually the stupidity of putting yeah. a gun inside sweatpants. Yeah, I'm pretty yeah, sure that, that was. <laughs> but, but, but that, that's a big difference. Mexico was looking at multiple years incarceration. Michael Vick was too. Um, you know, these guys, Hill, we'll see with Hill. But, you know, when it was Ezekiel Elliott, um, Ray Rice, uh, you know, it wasn't the same situation. They weren't, you know, two years in prison. Yeah, that's actually an interesting point. I don't know if Michael Burris did have a criminal history that make it a class D felony, which could carry up to three and a half to seven years in uh, the state of New York. So, I mean, if he did have any any sort of criminal conviction, even if it was something like a lowly, you know, attempted petty larceny or something like that, I mean, that could be used as a uh, predicate for this criminal possession of a weapon in the third degree in New York, which is a class D felony. So, I mean, he got pretty good. He got a pretty good deal if that was the uh, – <laughs> if he did have a prior conviction. It's not really hard to prove that he possessed a weapon when yeah, he shot himself in the yeah. leg. <laughs> Well, I, I think that wraps up this episode of our podcast. Vinny, we appreciate so much you calling in and and being a part of our podcast today. We really appreciate it. You definitely brought uh, uh, another perspective to this, so we, we truly appreciate you taking the time out. Gentlemen, thank you very much. And everybody, please subscribe. And if you have any questions, feel free to send them through to the lawyers, and we will answer them on the next episode. Gentlemen, take care. See you guys. Hey, Vinny, thanks for coming on. Thanks, guys. Have a good one, guys. Thank you for listening to the Know Your Rights podcast with Orlando attorneys Albert Bazzotti and Joel Osborne. For more information, feel free to reach out to them on the web at beoslaw.com, B-E-O-S-L-A-W.com, or call them at 407 421 one five three five.